Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council. Just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? Hello and welcome to episode 170 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. When I look back on my life and what albums had an immediate impact on me from the 90s, one jumps out that I never felt got their due. The band was M.I.J. and the singer of that band, Jeff Hansen. Jeff tragically died in 2009 and left a wealth of material, from three solo albums on Kill Rock Stars to an album and EP on the legendary Caulfield Records. I wanted to find a couple folks to talk about Jeff and his life, stories, and legacy. Speaking about Jeff on this episode is Bob Nana from Braid, Hey Mercedes, and many other bands. Plus, later on, Bernie McGinn, who put out the full length, the Radio Goodnight, and worked and founded Caulfield Records. They speak eloquently about Jeff, and you'll find out more about his music, but also his humor. If this perks your interest, I've linked a bunch of articles and content on washedupemo.com to continue your dive into Jeff's music. You can also go to jeffhansen.net. This is by no means a complete history, and I urge you to dig into Jeff and his life to learn more. As you dig, you'll find the love from the usual cast of characters, like Pitchfork and NPR. I'd like to read a passage from Stephen Thompson via NPR, who wrote about Jeff in 2009, after his passing at 31, and worthy of reading again. We lost so many musicians in 2009, from the iconic likes of Michael Jackson to the prolifically brilliant Vic Chestnut, whose suicide darkened Christmas Day. Far fewer people noted the passing of 31-year-old singer, guitarist, and songwriter Jeff Hansen, whose music seemed almost otherworldly. With his soft, high, delicate voice, Hansen sounded a little bit like a female Elliott Smith, with all the fragility, preciousness, and grace that description suggests. Hansen's senseless death the result of an apparent drug overdose on June 5th, lends his music even more of a ghostly ache than it had already, which is saying a lot. He leaves behind three solo albums, each of which unfolds with more promise than the one before it. Jeff Hansen will never get to realize that potential, but his voice is forever etched into delicate records that bear his name. Thank you to all the Patreon supporters out there. If you want to make this podcast easier to produce, head on over to patreon.com slash washed up emo to support. This is the washed up emo podcast episode 170 with a tribute to Jeff Hansen from MIJ. First up Bob Nana and then later on Bernie McGinn. 
Hope you enjoy. You know, MIJ, um, they've been around forever. I mean, when it's like Friction, I was I saw Friction played with them in '94 with Avail. It was Avail, MIJ, and Friction, and, and Madison. And I think I that's when I first met Jeff. But I really, truly got to know him because I went on the tour with them in 2005. Obviously, where most most of my material is going to come from. Uh, Braid did a cover, a Jeff Hansen cover on the closer to close DP because of the nature of his solo music being what it is like delicate. I mean, that's like maybe the best description for it. Like, I mean, he's on kill rock stars. So there's clearly like Elliot Smith, uh, comparison there, mm-hmm. but it's just, I, I, it, you really don't get just how the humor, like how funny he was. And like, just, <laughs> Like uh, an like, I would feel like a joy to hang out with, but just like sometimes you would uh, double over in laughter because he was uh, he was just hilarious and just filthy filthy mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, definitely played with MIJ. So that was when I first met Jeff, and then they played with Braid a few times. Then when Hey Mercedes, like fast forward a long time, when Hey Mercedes, uh, uh, wait. After MIJ kind of broke up, he moved to Minneapolis. I believe actually St. Paul is actually where he was living. And then he moved in with Todd Bell's now wife. Like they, they weren't like together. They were just roommates. I'm not sure how they knew each other, but they were, yeah, they were just roommates. And so when, before Todd and Katie started, well, maybe it was when they started dating, like, we would, when we were in Minneapolis, we would hang out with him. But then when he Mercedes was recording loses control in Boston. And that must've been like 2000. I could actually look it up or something. But I mean like, yeah, 2000, he was coming through town because he had done, he started doing the solo stuff and he was on tour with the Decemberists. And so we, we took the night off and went to see him play uh, at the middle East and yeah, then it was awesome hanging out with him. He actually stayed. We, we rented an apartment for the whole time we were recording loses control. So he came and stayed with us, uh, that night. And then, so around that time I got more familiar with his music. And then when I was, you know, in, this was in 2004, uh, Bray did a, the tour. And then after that, I did just a bunch of solo tours. I went to Europe with Owen and then I did the U.S. with, well, this basically just the South uh, East with Jeff. And it was, in the end, it was during Hurricane Katrina. Like, it was, yeah, we got caught, um, we got caught basically, basically in the exodus from New Orleans. What should people know about him that maybe, that maybe... Uh, maybe if they did know the band back then or didn't like what, what things it, was it his humor? Yeah. Just how fun and funny he was. It, and at, especially as like a counterpoint to his, 
his music being like I said, very delicate. He, as a personality, he's not, he was not delicate. He would say exactly what he meant. He was not afraid to, you know, get into debates about politics or music and, uh, and would just say funny, <laughs> you know, have, have really funny insights into the world basically. And also into the world that he was sort of operating within like, uh, the sort of singer songwriter genre. I was thinking too, he kind of, you know, again, having MIJ Caulfield, like that world, and then being able to jump out of that and be on kill rock stars to be able to make Mm -hmm. that leap was, was pretty fascinating at that point too. Yeah. That I, I don't, I'm not sure he, I mean, I think it was literally, he sent demo, he sent a demo to them. So it, it, yeah, it's surprising. It's definitely not something that really happens a lot. I mean, I mean, MIJ, when they started, were a little more punk, a little more hardcore. And then like towards the end, they were, they were, um, developing more of a promise ring esque vibe to their music. Um, like a little more poppiness. But, um, yeah, I just, you know, it's weird. It's like how, how many times has a singer or whatever, a guitar player from a band said, Oh, now I'm doing solo stuff. And you're like, Oh, cool. And you think you're like, no, that's, you know, whatever. It's going to be what it is. Or like have like preconceived notions of, of what it is and where it's going to go and how serious it's going to be. And then <laughs> I'm like, Oh, he's got, he's on kill rock stars. And I was like, wow. Wow. That's amazing. And like, yeah, this it is pretty serious. And it's really good too. Like, you know, at that point in time I, I probably didn't before I heard that I probably might I might not even listen to it. Not on purpose, but just being like having other things to do or listen to. Right. I, I felt like that sometimes with records where they an artist would go on and do something else and you were sort of into what that was before and then a few years mm-hmm. later you'd go back and be like well, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I should have been listening oh, to yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It, it takes, I mean, it, it probably would, for me, it takes um, a, a trusted, you know, friend to say, hey, go back <laughs> and listen to this. And, or maybe, and maybe even give me a few things to listen for. You know, especially with something that, like, oh, I've heard this a lot and it just didn't stand out to me or in, in, in a, any particular way. I mean, that's definitely happened um, to me. And I can't think of any examples of, of somebody it's happened to me, but it's, I've de- I've helped people get into like Jawbox, for instance, who are like, I, was, I know you love this type of music. You love this music. And I know you're going to like the band. Will you please, please give them another chance. And like, eventually <laughs> they're like, yeah, it's good. It's really good. <clears throat> What that I, what's interesting uh, I thought was when I I don't think I heard the EP MIJ in '99 but I definitely had Radio Goodnight and it came mm-hmm. to the, and it came to the college radio station I'm sure it was like an AAM Sunday service or something and I just remember mm-hmm. I actually remember getting it and I remember staring at it and mm-hmm. putting it on and and just kind of being blown away. And being mm-hmm. like, well, this is now mine. <laughs> like, you know, like this right. CD's definitely walking home with me. Um, yeah. This isn't going into the archives. And I think that it was, uh, 
that time period or that time to be able to give that record a shot. Um, and, um, I don't know. It just, I, it was, it was a cool feeling. And I think that record yeah. still in my collection still, I still have it. Um, yeah. To I this wonder day. if it's easy. Is it online? Is it like in, on Spotify and stuff? Oh, you know, I didn't check. Cause I just, always, I have my iTunes and I just always forget to like, I'm sure it is. Yeah. And if it's not, no, I mean, I'm the same way. I'm just assuming it came out on a really, some really small. Oh, wait, Caulfield did it. Yeah. Oh, then it's totally up because this that thing's on Amazon. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the other stuff that isn't, or people are yelling at us right now. Um, yeah. But yeah, I feel well, like, say, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, yes. And I'll, uh, one thing I'll, I'll say is that I'm not as familiar with MIJ's music as I am with his solo music. Which like, I, thought, I don't remember that much of, the, right. of of their recorded output. But I, I remember th- them playing. Yeah, I think too for for you having those experiences with him um and and you know hearing him in that in that regard the like this this solo tours and things um mm-hmm. were there anybody was there anybody like screaming out MIJ songs probably not, right? No. <laughs> no, and I mean there were you know you know, if you know, I'm assuming you know, you want to do like a Jeff Hansen episode. Like for the MIJ stuff, probably Bernie is the person to talk to, right? Or somebody from Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I was I was uh, thinking Bernie for sure, but I think just for him itself, uh, like you said, yeah. making that transition, doing the doing the solo stuff, um, or, yeah. and, and and you well, having time with him. Yeah, there was. I mean, yeah, no one was no one was there because of MIJ, like. In Atlanta, for instance, we were, it was at a place in Marietta, Georgia, outside of Atlanta, and we were sitting in the car, probably drinking beer, (laughs) like waiting waiting for our turn to go play, and it was like kind of a weird vibe, and we had seen this like family there, like a clearly of two, two, a man and a woman and a child, and I remember we were sitting in the car just being like, get this fucking kid to bed. Like it is late. What is this kid doing up? And the show is in like a strip mall sort of thing. So it was not clear to us that they were there for the show. Even we were just like, what is this, what is this kid doing up? It's like whatever, 11 or maybe even later. And it turned out that this family had heard Jeff, Jeff, one of Jeff's songs on NPR and, and their son really liked it. And so like he ended up, they, they ended up like, being right up front for Jeff and to talk to Jeff a little bit beforehand. So he went and made sure to relearn the song that they heard. Cause it wasn't one that he was playing. And, uh, yeah, it was just like, yeah, I mean, there were just people hearing him that just, you know, it, cause his solo stuff is completely different than MIJ. Yeah. Did you th- yeah. think when you were playing shows with him and friends that, that like, were there not is like, I feel like this missed me. Like even uh, when I was at labels and stuff, like I don't even think I realized maybe I wasn't paying attention to kill rock stars because I was okay. at a hardcore label, but I, I don't remember it. Do you feel that, like you said, the NPR, like, did it get a good push? If just your awareness of it, I think it got a decent amount of push, but yeah, definitely to, very specific audiences that weren't really mine or like I wasn't a part of. Um, and also 
we had played, I think on this tour, I'm not sure exactly who booked it. It might've been Jeff's person. Again, I don't remember who exactly that was, but uh, we were at this place in Madison where we were, we were playing a show and it was at this place called the journey house. And I was like, I never heard of this place. Like I'm looking, it's like this cafe. I'm like, man, it's so weird that I've never heard of this. And he's like, well, he's like, here's the deal. It's a quote unquote faith based coffee house. And he's like, I did this tour. I believe it was with Dennis and Whitmer, but he's like, for some reason now I get booked into these faith based places. And he despised, he was so upset about it. Like he did not want to do it. He was not into it at all. And would like, you know, wouldn't be afraid to sort of make his opinions known to whomever tried to come and talk to him. If that was even a thing, I don't remember it being a thing or, or whatever, but, um, yeah. So that was, again, I, for some reason he, at some point got looped into that, um, you know, that area as well. And like I said, when we, when we were in Boston, he was on tour with the Decemberists. He was opening for the Decemberists. So like, it's just a complete, it was a completely different. I think that was it. Like I must, you know, again, I was oblivious and probably didn't realize, but that was always the thing that you, once you got into, if you were an emo band or a punk band or a hardcore band, like you couldn't get out. And if, and it's almost like he got out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah oh definitely any other thoughts on on songs or, or or from his solo stuff that you think people should listen to yeah. or uh go back to and check out yeah i mean he's yeah the um so what uh, again I, I actually the so the song that um braid covered is a song called you are the everything it's i didn't it wasn't my choice to cover that one. It's not, I mean, whatever, it's good, but I just want, I really wanted to do this song called, um, this time at will. And that was sort of the single for the record that he was promoting when we went on tour with him. Coincidentally, that was the song that, um, that family had heard on the radio. And it, it's, it's an amazing song. And it's, it's a really cool video that he did for it too. This time it will. Yeah. Yep. So you couldn't, so that's the one you didn't do. <laughs> that's what I wanted to do. How was but that I meeting? Out, I got outvoted. Because <laughs> uh, Damon really wanted to do um, You Are the Everything. Yeah. And then it was, you know, I feel like it was, that was a, a strange time doing that EP because, uh, like, I was going through a real messy breakup at the time. And, you know, Jay Robbins was in town for a short amount of time. So we didn't have a real lot of time to work on it. And we were all, we were just sort of working in these silos. So there was like a song that I wrote and did, and then a song that Chris did. And then we had our Jeff, Jeff Hansen cover, which we just like learned quickly. And then there was one that was sort of like almost a, a jam for lack of a better word, which I hate and, never do. But, um, yeah, but I remember, uh, 
us coming to the studio one morning and Jay had gotten there early and put down like a piano track on it. Just, he didn't even ask him to. <laughs> he was just like, yeah, I just wanted to play piano on this. And I was like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's cool. Man, Jay's the, Jay is so, the, he's the best. I, he was at Fest, obviously, because uh, Jawbox played and um, he played too. It was awesome. Just great. Anything else for the Jeff thing? I mean, definitely I'll have Bernie do some uh, fill and stuff, yeah. and I'm sure he'll stuff. But anything else from on the Jeff side? When I say he had like a filthy mouth, it wasn't like he was, you know, telling dirty jokes or something, but he just, when he had um, like conviction about something, he would say it in a um, really funny, like crude, but hilarious way. And the one thing I, I, I can't, I, I'll, I'll remember, or I, I, I remember to this day, because I, I was like dying. <laughs> he was upset. Oh, the, there's actually three things. There's this, there's um, playing in front of people who you're eating. And then there, I wanted to just mention about when I found out that he died. Um, he was so, he thought we were getting screwed out of money from one of the venues. And he was so upset about it. And he was, he was like, we use, Actually, there's another thing I want to say, but he was like, we are getting screwed here, Bob. We are getting bent over a Camaro in a Denny's parking lot right now. <laughs> and I was just like, what? What? <laughs> like, but I mean, he's like straight face serious. And I'm just like, oh my God. Wow. But, um, he also loved sports. To the extent that, you know, we were touring in August of 2005. Every night when we would get to our hotel, we would usually, we would usually buy whiskey, like a small thing of whiskey and share whiskey when we were going to sleep. And he would put on Sports Center. And he loved, he's like, he's like, this is the best time of the year for sports because uh, baseball is ending. It's like the playoffs of baseball. Um, there was some other thing that was happening. Like, uh, Basketball's starting I up. Even, football's yeah, and coming football's up. Yeah. Starting, like there's starting to be post or, um, preseason football. So he was just like, it's just awesome. And he loved, you know, he loved the Green Bay Packers. Um, and yeah, I just remember him. <laughs> like I remember us watching like Sports Center. Uh, and whatever, the only sport I actually care about is, is football, but, um, you know, I would sit and watch it with them or whatever, and then just kind of zone out and go to sleep. But I remember watching one night, it was after a bears preseason game where our quarterback at the time, Rex Grossman, uh, broke his ankle in a preseason game. And so they were, they were showing this as, um, you know, like a highlight on sports center. And he, because obviously the, the, the bears are, um, pretty intense rivalry with the Packers. And so he was 
loving it. He was like, your season is over. <laughs> he, was, he was giving me so much shit. I was just like, oh, God. Anyway. Um, you could just, you can feel him doing that now, right? You can just feel him just yeah, giving oh, you shit. hundred <laughs> um, percent. We played this place in Gainesville, Florida, Gainesville, a place called the Pontiac. I don't, we realized kind of quickly that we were playing some event, but we didn't know that we were, but it was like a dinner thing. And he was just rail. He was so mad before he went on that he was going to have to play for people who were eating. He just was, I don't know. Like he was so like morally opposed to it. And so when he got on stage, he's like, he's like, welcome to Olive Garden. (laughs) Like he just he was just sort of made a made a joke of it, but you could I, tell he was that, super angry. Of, yeah, and that's but that's one of the things that like I really took from him. Like I just I I kind of ran with that too to be like, yeah, you're right. That sucks to have to like play to people that are eating. Like I don't like that at all. He also, you know how he um, he made sure to play that one song in Atlanta. He changed his set every night for to sort of match the energy of the room, which was pretty cool. Like we played one, most of the shows we were playing were mostly acoustic affairs, but there was a show in um, Greensboro where we played with Anathalo, which is funny. It was Anathalo and some other band. I could go look, but it was Anathalo and a band, basically like kind of like a Christian band's. And so he was like, I don't know why, <laughs> like, again, he's like, why am I in this, you know, scene of playing with these, no, I just put in a follow <laughs> these like uh, Christian bands, but because we were playing with like bands, he, his set was like heavy. Wow. Like he played like loud, loud, heavy stuff. I don't think he played any MIJ songs, but yeah, he was able to, um, really mix it up and make it, you know, work for the people. Like in a way that I still kind of don't and can't i try but i can't so he seemed <laughs> like um, he seemed very present of the moment and could take the energy in which is that's pretty amazing yeah oh yeah yeah and so even when he was upset about like something when he was you know he was on stage he was professional like he wasn't really um, times so, he, so yeah, when he, he when you when sorry. he passed away, right in two thousand nine. Yeah, I was. I mean, at the time, I was working at Threadless, and I was also writing. <clears throat> excuse me, writing for uh, this publication that was in the same building as Threadless called You Are Chicago, and I was doing show reviews for him, and 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 album reviews as well, but they had. So they would send me to see a lot, like whatever, a lot of bands. Um, and I was seeing Jenny Lewis at the time at the park West here in Chicago. And I got a text from Todd or no, I he called. And then I, I didn't, I didn't answer. I was at the, at the show and it was, you know, it wasn't like a crazy loud show. It was like, I can't sit here and be on the phone. Um, and, I texted him. I was like, Hey, I'm at a show. Is it, is this important? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. So I got up and I went outside and 
Yeah, and he told me. Um, and yeah, it's. I mean, I don't know if you did much digging or research into what happened. I did. I, I looked into just that it was they didn't the, the they didn't know if it was an overdose or intentionally or uh, unintentionally. Yeah, he does. I mean, he. I, I, I see. It's it's a little weird. I mean, my gut, from what I know of him, is saying that he would it would never have been intentional. I mean, I, I'm not surprised that he was on like antidepressants or taking medicine for that. And I'm, I'm not surprised that he was drinking a lot. Um, but I don't, I never found, see, I guess, you know, I, I saw this one slice of him, but I mean, it was a pretty intimate slice. He did. It didn't seem like <clears throat> that was like that sh- huge of a problem for him mm-hmm. at the time or like the depression. Um, but that all that being said, once we, you know, once that tour was over in 2005, I really didn't see him that much in between that tour and, and then getting the call from Todd. I mean, he lived in St. Paul, so I don't know what had been going on in, in between those that time. Right. Yeah, it's just it's um, you know again when there's someone that's not there, you you think about what what could have been and um, mm-hmm. what do you what do you think about that with Jeff? Well, I can't help but he would be uh, our our current political situation. He would. Uh, he should. He should. He should start a podcast. I mean, he would have started some sort of podcast because he was so outspoken <clears throat> against Bush when we were on our tour. Mm-hmm. Like he would bring up politics to like people, um, like the hotel, the person at the hotel who was checking us in, and bring it up. And I'm, I'm like, I'm like, oh, fuck, man. He'd bring bring up politics and the woman and whatever in the south or in the south. He was she was just like, "Well, I like Bush," and he's like, "Huh? You do?" He's like, "Are you a millionaire?" <laughs> She's like, no. Well, then you should, you know, like start, he just would love to get into it. So I mean, he would be fucking livid right now, obviously. Um, <laughs> but I mean, that's I mean, that's everybody that's the important part. The important, but also the, the important part is his music, like. He, it's so, I loved that he was able to be inventive, but yet still so be so him. Like there's no, you could not hear a Jeff Hansen song and think it was anybody else. Like at first, maybe the first time you heard it, you probably thought it was a woman singing. Mm-hmm. But like once you knew his music, it, it, but I mean like it, it's, the songs were so different but it was still him. I thought he was just really skilled at not trying to be something that he wasn't, but still making it so interesting and unique within what he was. So, I mean, I mean, he would have undoubtedly put out more great music for sure. 
So what, what was that uh, correspondence back and forth for the year? Was it a phone? Was it was it email? Was it letters? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, there, I, there were some. It was over the uh, regular mail. Um, of maybe maybe Jeff was posting on the blabber board as well. That was the means of communication for lots of Caulfield related stuff. Uh, the blabber board, by the way, was. Uh, just, just an internet guest book kind of, you know, there's like, leave him, leave a message. You know? Right. Hi, I'm from, you know, Tulsa or whatever. And, um, I had just posted, put that thing up on, uh, on the Caulfield records website and people used it as almost like a chat room or like Twitter in a way, uh, which is really kind of hilarious. Um, anyways, uh, no, I was just, um, I was really super psyched to hear the first, uh, or sorry, that second EP uh, that I ended up putting out. Um, Self-titled, because, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, I just never heard anything like Jeff's voice, <laughs> you know? And I think, I think that's, you know, you just kind of pause and you go, wait, you know, what are we listening to here? Right. Um, and, uh, I was just sold immediately. So, um, I was, I was excited that to put out the initial EP and then even more excited to put out the, uh, the record radio. Good night. Was there any response, uh, you know, press or marketing wise when you were doing those releases, the EP and the full length, you know, not as much as I had hoped, uh, to be honest. Um, and I don't, I don't know whether it just like, was music and with Jeff's voice not um, fitting into the mold, really, you know? Um, yeah, I, I had expected a lot more of it. Um, I think the band, um, it, you know, sure would have helped if they would have, you know, hit the road and been road warriors for a couple tours. Um, you know, you can't, you can't beat that. But um, I had sort of hoped that just, the uniqueness of, of the voice of, of Jeff's voice um, of the great catchy songs. And then I was just uh, listening to it again the other day, um, radio good night. And 
I don't know. I was always really struck by the, you know, this like Beatles esque sort of quality, um, or, or, and kind of like it was hints or kind of a foreshadowing of, of the orchestral pop stuff that he was doing later. Um, I think, uh, so to, to answer your question, I, I guess I, I thought that it was going to do a, a lot more, um, but it didn't, it wasn't a disappointment by any means, but, um, I, I just, you know, was super fired up about it and didn't see the same response that you saw from a, a mineral or a Christopher Andrade. If you haven't listened to the MIJ records, uh, or certainly his, his solo stuff it's like carve out a good rainy afternoon and just like dive in. Um, I think, I think it's really, really rich. And, uh, I don't know, looking back at it now, like way more, um, forward thinking or, or, or mature songwriting, you know, um, and just, you know, some really great in, in both his solo stuff and, and MIJ really great, you know, pop sensibilities in there, whether it's like the big, you know, power trio stuff with MIJ or, um, some crazy, almost like country tinged orchestral pop thing, uh, in a solo stuff. I was just listening to it in the car today. Um, it's just worth digging into. He was, he was a really creative dude, obviously. Um, Swingtown Pledge is a song, and um, the other one, uh, Sometimes in Sleep, uh, is this is the kind of the mellow acoustic one that really kind of foreshadowed his um, his solo stuff. Um, so those are two go to songs that you know I would encourage anybody to throw on a playlist and get acquainted. They just need a, a quick primer. Right. Uh, did you um, follow his career after? And did you keep in touch during his solo stuff with Kill Rockstar? Um, luckily, I got to see him at least once here in San Francisco doing his solo stuff. So, yeah, we were able to keep in touch for a little bit. Um, and uh, again, yeah, him just being up on stage, just doing the solo Jeff thing was kind of a mind mind blower. Um, you know, I just, again, again, the, the voice and that, that falsetto is just so striking. You're like, and, and captivating, uh, you kind of wonder how is that coming from that guy who, you know, we were just hanging out drinking beers at the bar earlier. Like it, it's just, he just helped transport the whole, audience somewhere. So they were, they were really special. Um, those solo shows for sure. And then, um, I thought it was interesting that a lot of bands and people from associated with this, uh, the genre or, uh, a label, no matter what, but a label or a genre, it's tough to get out of it. And it seemed like he made that jump. Um, you know, going from like a, you know, a punk or indie, uh, label to, uh, something like Kill Rockstar was like a pretty good leap to want to achieve. It'd be like if you were, totally. on, you know, a hardcore label and then Sub Pop wanted you. So it seemed yeah. like he made that leap, and not many, not many could do that. Um, yeah, that's that's actually really interesting. I was really um, uh, excited that he was able to, um, you know, 
level up or, you know, graduate to a label that could, you know, even, even better, um, promote and support his art. Um, so that was, that was really cool. And at the time you, you probably couldn't do better than, than the kill rock stars for sure. Um, yeah, so that you're right. That, that didn't, didn't happen a lot in terms of, um, people sort of breaking out of their home team or, or, you know, um, and I'm trying to remember the, the timeline, um, radio good, good night came out 2001. I have it as 2000. Is it 2000? Yeah. Okay. That sounds right. Um, and, uh, didn't the band didn't stick around too much longer after that came out. If I'm memory serves. Um, and then Jeff was just doing solo stuff. I'm not sure when the first kill rock stars thing came out. I thought it was like 2006 or seven. Um, I could be wrong again on that. But, yeah. I believe um, the record sun came out in 2003. Okay. Yeah. So it was, it was really great to see him like, uh, progress and move forward. I was listening to the, the records in, in, in the car today. And, uh, um, I'm kind of shocked actually that he's not more of a, it's not a household name, like that more people don't recognize, uh, his name. And, um, hopefully this little chat can help people, uh, get inspired to check it out. Right. Well, I, that was part of that's it's, it, you, you came to my last question and sort of a, a, a philosophy around this as well is that, you know, he did have an untimely death 10 years ago, this, this summer's in, in the summer of 2009. And I think there are ways that people keep people, keep things alive and keep music alive and it's harder. And, you know, it's the kill rock stars is one or, or whatever label. And if they're not constantly, you may be pushing it out or adding it to playlists or whatever the marketing is at that on that day, um, things do get forgotten and things do get left. And maybe the website that they bought, uh, for somebody like lapses and they don't pick it up again. And that stuff kind of, unless the Wayback machine gets it is, yeah. is lost. And, um, I, I just think, you know, if someone, if there was a label around, um, I mean, I joke about it. Um, I've joked about it with a lot of people, but like the karate record stuff on Southern is not up on streaming and like, that's ridiculous. Right. And I even joked about it with Ian Mackay and he, not to name drop, but specifically like he's related to one of the dudes in the band. And I just said, Hey, when you're at Thanksgiving, can you just like mention it again? And he's like, (laughs) no one's going to care. And it was, you know, no, no. And, and I thought that brought me back to like, if it's out there, there are people that are going to find it and they're going to do the digging and find out the connections and go to band to band.com and figure yeah. out who's connected. So if it's not there, they're off. And I'm not saying this is totally true for Jeff because his stuff is available, but to continue that story, uh, people keep having to, pe- people need not having people need to like uh, tell someone about him or that music. Um, almost as much as it needs to just be sitting on Spotify. Totally. I mean, um, I think it speaks to the fact that, you know, um, we've, we've got access to so much music now. Um, re rediscoveries are, are, are kind of hard. Um, 
I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe if it, you know, pops up on your favorite algorithmic playlist or whatever, maybe that's, that's one way, but I'm, I'm, I, I think it's, um, communities of people, uh, you know, podcasts like yours that, uh, can, you know, shine a little spotlight and, and kind of, uh, kickstart some, some more interest in, in people's music who, who deserve it. Um, so hopefully that happens. Hopefully it does. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're just re the rediscovery aspect of, you know, so much good music that's, you know, still not on a streaming service or, um, and, and how do you, how, how do you kickstart that? Um, I don't know. Let's find out. That's part of my day job. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have to do that all day, but yes, uh, there are, there are definitely ways to do it, but I think from the, the DIY or punk sort of ethos, it's, um, it's even more that friend to friend connection or, Hey, I heard this, check this out. Um, because you're not going to have the bigger outlets that are going to have this on their, um, remember this year. And they're going to have those 50, yeah. bands it's not it's not going to be on there so it's the the mainstream bands like even this this own genre emo having a pop era like they're only going to those those bands are only going to get mentioned so to continue yeah. to keep talking about these other ones and the connections i think is just as important and i think jeff's hopefully uh people take um you know a listen again um being that it was 10 years ago this past summer, were there thoughts um, uh, when, when when it happened, when he passed away? What did you did you you know? Bob Nana told me you know uh, Todd from the band, from Braid called him and um, you know told him about it. Was do you have a memory of 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 that? And have have there times been since that you've thought about him? Um, yeah, it was just so uh, shocking, you know, like. Uh, obviously cause he was so young. Um, I, I honestly don't remember. I feel like it, it might've been somebody reaching out on, um, Facebook at the time right. to, uh, to say something about that. And that's all like, um, early days for me for, you know, and for everyone back in 2009 and, and just thinking about how now we learn about news and um things that happen in our communities um so it was a, a shocker um i've just periodically you know uh, revisited those those records um and it's you know definitely bittersweet in in the fact that jeff's not with us but um you know i i a, a little like you know damn it these records should have been bigger <laughs> or you know like uh, how how could we have like you know really really made this happen for the band um you know it it is what it is
Hello, Washed Up Emo fans. Thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years, or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening and for this current episode you're about to hear. I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shuttle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted Volume 1, so you can order both. Check out the DIY publishing at anthologyofemo.com.